0: It's great to be here. I, just, we, we, I love Infusion Church, Cleo. We love Infusion Church. And Matt has helped me out a ton. He comes down and preaches for me. I only think it's fair. I tell him he's got to come down sometimes. And he's been preaching for me when, uh, when I've had to be gone. And it's been really encouraging. Our people love Matt and uh, just love the way he brings the gospel. So thank you, uh, Matt. And, uh, so Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I know, I think you guys even heard a sermon on this a couple weeks ago where Paul goes on to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about singing and making melody in your heart and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about giving thanks in all things. And, And these are some things that it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you hear that description, you probably think, yeah, that's no surprise. If if you were to say, what's it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'd think, ah, oh, probably singing, probably a melody in your heart, maybe being grateful. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. However, there is one more characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit that Paul gives us here that I don't think we usually associate with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Calvin actually says about this characteristic that nothing is more irksome to mankind. That's why I made Matt tell you that he, this was an assigned sermon. So I made him tell you because I didn't just want to come and preach a sermon on the topic that is most irksome to mankind in the whole world. Like that wasn't just like uh, on my heart this morning when I woke up, right? But, but he asked me to and it's in the Bible. So I said, yes, I will. And, uh, and verse 21 tells us what that topic is. It says, in verse 21, he's he's talking about be filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives a long list of what it looks like, and this is the last one. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is one of the characteristics of being filled with the Spirit. I I think that's crazy. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But first, let's just admit Nobody likes submission. I mean, real submission, nobody likes. It's just the way it is. You might not mind submitting to somebody about things you don't care about, but nobody likes submitting about things they actually really care about. I mean, listen to the definition of submission, and then apply it to something you care about, right? Committing yourself to the discretion or decision of another. Yeah. That's fine if it's like, where are we going to do lunch after, you know, church today? But that doesn't work so good where it's like, where do you want to live the rest of our lives? Eh, you pick. You know what I'm saying? It's just not. No, I mean, like, you might have an opinion about that, right? And, and, it, and if your opinions differed, submitting might not be your first choice. The truth is, Adam and Eve found it hard to submit to a perfect God in a perfect world with one rule. Okay, so if that was hard, which it seems like it was, uh, then you and I submitting to imperfect people in a broken world that have way more than one opinion, that's way, way harder. It's hard. Submission is hard. We live in a culture that makes submission even harder. It's not like we live in the most submissive Culture in the world where everyone's like, oh, submission's beautiful, it's great, you just gotta learn to respect it, right? No, I mean, be your own person, right? Our culture says nobody knows what's best for you better than you, and no one is ultimately responsible for your choices more than you, so you need to ultimately be the one that makes those decisions. That's what our culture says. Submission in our culture is seen as outdated. Uh, it's seen as misguided, sometimes dangerous. A lot of people associate submission with, with like, uh, oppression, right? That's kind of the idea that, that it goes with. But in Ephesians 5, Paul literally tells us that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you were to go to Paul and you'd say, Paul, talk to me what's it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Just tell me something. It's like, ah, it's pretty easy. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what it looks like. That's not what we're thinking, right? I have never in my life heard someone use being filled with the Spirit as a reason for their decision to submit. Never. Guess what? I have often heard people use being filled with the Holy Spirit as their excuse not to submit, right? How many people have ever heard something like this or even said something like this? Listen, I appreciate your counsel. I mean, I, I, it, it moves me to think that you care that much, that, that you're telling me what you think. Uh, but I, I want you to know I prayed about this. I spent a lot of time praying about this. And I feel like the Holy Spirit's really giving me Peace. And I know that you don't agree, but I'm pretty sure my way is the best way. And because I have the Holy Spirit, I have to do it. I'm sorry. Right? That, that's what we use the Holy Spirit for. Right? We use the Holy Spirit to make sure we know we have the Holy Spirit. Not sure about you, but we know we have the Holy Spirit. And because we have the Holy Spirit, it would be crazy not to do what he's telling us. Little do we know, like the Holy Spirit actually told all of us something a long time ago, and it was a little bit of a different way to use being filled with the Holy Spirit. John Stott says, sometimes a person who claims to be filled with the Holy Spirit becomes aggressive or self-assertive or brash, but the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit, and those who are truly filled with him display meekness and gentleness. It is one of the most evident characteristics of being filled with the Spirit that they submit to one another. He is saying one of the most clear evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you submit to one another. Now, in one sense, I think that doesn't make sense, but, but here's one way that it would. We might use the, the Holy Spirit as Christians for our excuse to do things our way, but let me ask you, Are all the other people out there in the world doing things their way? So we look just like them, it's just we used a different word for it. But being filled with the Spirit should make us look different than the world, right? Is the world submitting to one another? I don't think so. So we're using the Holy Spirit as an excuse to look just like everybody else, which is not what the Holy Spirit does. He makes us different. But, but I do think that, that it sounds crazy when we, when we actually think of what that might look like. Let me just give you a scenario. Tell me, this sounds a little counterintuitive, right? Uh, you're sitting with a group of believers, you know, you're in your crowded house, and they've been, you know, kind of weighing in on one of the decisions you're about to make. And you say, listen, I, I appreciate your counsel. I've spent a lot of time in prayer about this. And the truth is, after all of my time in prayer, I still don't agree with you guys. In fact, I am, I am very confident that the way that I want to do it is actually the best way. However, because I feel so filled with the Holy Spirit right now, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do it the way you guys are suggesting, even though I'm pretty sure it's not the best way. That just doesn't even... It, just, uh, uh, it doesn't sound like, you know, your typical crowded house, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, that's just, it doesn't sound like, it just sounds, it sounds crazy almost. The idea of having the Holy Spirit in us really makes us think that we should do it the way we think is best, because we have the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter if the whole world disagrees with us. We have the Holy Spirit. We ought to know what's best. Paul says, one of the characteristics of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we commit ourselves to the discretion and the decisions of one another out of reverence for Christ. I know this is a difficult topic. There might be some things that I'm going to say that maybe you don't agree with, don't resonate. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking two things. One, listen to the whole thing. Two, let's just Let's just agree that we should take seriously that this topic, that this, this passage means something. That being, being filled with the Spirit looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those words have some meaning. And we should take seriously what that is. We should wrestle with it. So let's just do that today. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about a few things. I want to start by just giving you a few reasons why I think that this irksome thing, this thing that nobody enjoys or likes, is actually beautiful and good. I'm going to give you three reasons that this text shows us, and I think God shows us, why submission is actually a very beautiful thing. The first reason, and, and I think they all three go to what Paul already said, he alludes to them, out of reverence for Christ. So the question we're going to ask is, how does submission show reverence for Christ? We can agree that If something shows reverence for Christ, it's good and it's beautiful, even if it's irksome and hard, right? So what what we need to do is we need to show how does submission show reverence for Christ, because if it does, then it's good. So I'm assuming that we believe it's good. Now I'm just going to show you how it does. First, submission shows reverence for Christ because submission was the means that God chose to use to save you and me. You and I have been saved because of the submission of God's only Son. I want you to consider something. As irksome as submission is, do you know who this most submissive person who ever lived was? The most submissive person who ever lived, not ironically, was also the most spirit-filled person who ever lived, and his name was Jesus. John 5.19, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son cannot do one thing, can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. How many of us go through our life cognizant that we can't do one thing? Most of us have tried, at least tried, to do one thing on our own. Jesus never even tried to do one thing on his own. Not only did he submit to his Father, we might say, okay, but that's submitting to God. His Father actually asked him to submit to people that weren't even close to as smart as him. Ask him to submit to his parents. You know, every time, do you and your kids ever disagree about things? Did you know that every time Jesus and his parents saw a different way of going about things, he was right? Every time? And yet he still submitted to their way. In every situation that wasn't sin, he submitted to their way. But but God didn't even just ask him to submit to people that loved him, like his parents. Maybe people that weren't always right, but at least they loved him. He asked him to submit to people that didn't even care about him. People that envied him. People that didn't care about him, didn't care about his rights, didn't care about justice, didn't care about any of it. Just just think about the last day of Jesus' life. In one day, he's unjustly arrested. He could have called down 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He's lied about, it, and he doesn't even say anything. He's unjustly accused of blasphemy when he is God. He accepts the judgment of Pilate, even though it's, it's wrong. He's innocent. He silently allows pagan soldiers to spit on him, mock him, hit him, pretend that, make a joke about him being the king of the Jews, and then nail him to a cross, But even these things weren't his greatest act of submission. His greatest act of submission was found as he hung there on the cross and he willingly drank the wrath of God the Father that was intended for you and me. That was the act of submission that was most irksome to him, the one that he longed the most to escape. He even tells us in Mark 14.36, Abba, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my decision and not my discretion, but yours be done. That's submission. You and I have been saved by the submission of another. You you see what I'm saying, right? In In the Garden of Gethsemane, if he doesn't submit, you and I don't get saved. We are saved directly. I'm not like bringing it. We are directly saved because of the submission of another. And if that's how God chose to save us, then you can see how it could bring reverence to Him for us to, to follow in His footsteps, right? Now, I want you to consider all the excuses we use for not submitting. I'm just going to give you a few. Y'all are really good at it, so you can think of your other ones. You know what I'm saying? So, but I'll give you a few. I, I can only submit if I know for certain that the other person's way is better than mine. Probably about the time you know it's better than yours, you shouldn't have to submit. You should want to do it. But, uh, but uh, I can always submit if the other person's more experienced or educated than me. Then, even if I don't agree with them, I, I can, like, justify submitting to them. They, they, maybe they know something I don't know. I can only submit to someone who treats me fairly. I can only submit to someone who really cares about my rights. I can only submit to someone who I know loves me, who has demonstrated that they love me. I can only submit, I can submit to some things, but I will not submit to being lied about, being taken advantage of. I will not submit to being mistreated, to having my rights trampled on. I will not submit to that. Let me ask you a question. What if Jesus had the same standards for submission that you do? What if Jesus used the same litmus test for when he would submit as you are using? What if Jesus only submitted to people that loved him? What if Jesus only submitted to people more experienced or wiser or smarter than him? What if he only submitted to people who respected his rights? What if he only submitted to people who were just and truthful and honest? If Jesus would have had this standard, if he would have said any of those things, you and me would still be on our way to hell. Doesn't Jesus say no servant is greater than his master? So, who are we to make up a different standard, a higher standard of submission than he did? If we were the master, we'd expect that we don't have to submit as often as him, but we're the servants. So, what are we doing saying there are times that Jesus submitted that we don't think we should have to? That's a servant thinking they're better than their master. Infusion, we have to be really careful about setting up tests of submission that Jesus never set up. We have to be really careful about justifying not being submissive in ways that Jesus never did. Remember, your salvation is based on the submissiveness of another. You and I have been saved by the submissiveness of Jesus, and that's why one of the ways that we, that we show reverence to Him is by, res, res, by submitting to one another. That's point one. Second, the way that submission to one another shows reverence for Christ is that when we submit to one another, to other believers, this text is specifically about other believers, although there's many other texts about many other areas where you can apply everything that I'm saying about submission. But today it's just to one another. Every time you submit to one another, to another believer, you are submitting to a person For whom Jesus died. Here's what I'm saying. Submission involves sacrifice, right? In submission, we sacrifice our desires, our will, our preferences, what we think is best. We we sacrifice something. So do you see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is every time you submit to another believer, you get to sacrifice something small for a person that Jesus sacrificed something really big for. Right? A, a, you get to sacrifice something small for a person that Jesus sacrificed his life for. And you know what I'm saying, right? Like, parents, how do you feel when somebody, like, loves your kids? When they, when they give them a sweet gift, when they do something kind to them? That can move you, right? How, you, you, you like it when someone else... you. If a, if a teacher at school or something made a sacrifice for one of your kids, stood up for them, you'd be, it would just it would endear you to them, right? You, it would you you man, ah, I appreciate that, guys. It's a privilege to say I get to sacrifice my preference for someone that Jesus shed His blood for. That means me and Jesus get to be on the same side in this uh, on, of this issue with. In our relationship to this person, both of us have sacrificed for them. Both of us have, have, have submitted for their good. Both of us have put their, their preferences above ourselves. We get to side with Jesus. That's why it's reverence for him. I mean, the world's right. You and I might be, we might sometimes be the ones best suited to like uh, decide what's best for ourselves, but we're not best suited to decide what's best for other people. You aren't even best suited to decide how your personal decisions impact other people. You're not even the best one to decide that. Other people are better at deciding how your decisions impact them than you are. And so what Paul's calling for mutual submission is what I call other-centered decision-making. He's calling us to, to make decisions with other people, with the impact that it has on other people as the center. When we make a decision, it's more about the impact it has on others than it is the impact it has on us. That's what he's calling for. That's what Jesus is calling for. Philippians 2, 4-6, through let each of you not look to his own interest only, but... Also to the interest of others, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be clung to, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When you submit a preference for a brother or sister in Christ, You get to make a sacrifice, a little sacrifice, for a person that Jesus sacrificed his blood for. That shows reverence to Christ. Finally, what makes submission beautiful is the intimacy that submission offers us with Jesus. Submission is hard. Submission takes sacrifice. Submission is not natural when you submit to someone else, you get a little taste of what Jesus' life was like. You get a little taste of what he did for you. You see, like so, so I'm saying, one, you get to love other people the way that he loved them. Two, you get to taste what, what that love cost, which brings you into intimacy with him. Now you have this bond with him. Both of you have sacrificed for this other person. You you, you know a little bit what it feels like. Not nearly as much as his, but a lot more than you did before. Hebrews 13, 12 through 14 kind of shows us. It says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he bore. Submission is hard. Submission is what it looks like to go outside the camp to Jesus. Outside the camp isn't fun. It's not natural. We don't like to be there. There's reproach. It it takes sacrifice. But guess why we go outside the camp? We don't go out of it for all the things that we have to give up. We go out of it for the one thing that we gain. And the one thing that we find outside the camp makes up for everything that we might have to give up. Because outside the camp, we find Jesus. Whatever preference, whatever whatever the best way of doing it, whatever, whatever you sacrifice in order to submit to another believer, it's worth it because of the intimacy of Jesus that submission offers us, welcomes us into. We don't submit to earn Jesus' love. We don't submit to get His grace. We submit because submission is just a way of following in the footsteps of Jesus. And you know why you would want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? It's to be near Him. You want to follow Him because you want to be with Him. That's what submission does. It declares that being with Jesus is better than being right. Being with Jesus is better than getting your way. Even when your way is the best way. Here's what I'm saying. Let's say your way is the best way. Everyone else's way is the tenth best way. Tenth. See, we get to submit to the lights, right? We just we submit to whatever's happening. We just submit. It's all right. We, we submit to it. We take it. Which, which on a side note, leads us to What I think is sometimes the hardest form of submission, and this this form of submission trains you, I think oftentimes the hardest form of submission is is submitting to, to circumstances that God lets into our life, right? How many of you have found that some circumstance that God has allowed into your life was way harder than anything another person has ever asked of you? I found that. We learn to submit as we submit to one another. We prepare our hearts to be submissive and to fellowship with Jesus and submitting. And then when God throws something, to, something horrible on our plates that we hate, that's broken, that we don't like, we find that out of reverence for Christ, we can submit to that as well. I don't care if it's the 10th best way. It is better to go about life doing everything the 10th best way with Jesus because you're submitting to people that are 10th best smart, even when you knew the best way. Because the best way alone is not nearly as sweet or beautiful or good as the 10th best way with Jesus and the 10th best way. With his people. Because you see, that. that, that uh, so now I've explained. I hope, I hope you've seen. I've given you three reasons why submission allows us to show reverence to Christ, why showing reverence to Christ is good and beautiful and makes submission something worth it, no matter how much it costs. Now let me explain why. Why? 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 Why submission? Why did Jesus think this is even a good idea in the first place? Well, the answer to that is found in Ephesians 4, a couple couple verses earlier. It says, bear with one another, verse 2 and 3, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, here's the thing. Without submission, there is no way to have a diverse group that is also unified. You see, let me explain. There are two ways to get unity. There's only two ways to get unity. Two ways. One, uniformity. Everybody's just like each other and naturally wants the same thing. That's a way to get unity. You don't even need submission for that way. Second way, diversity. Radically diverse people gather together to pursue a cause bigger than themselves, and in order to do that, they willingly submit. Submit their preferences. Submit the way that they want to do it. You want to do it the best way, but eight other people want to do it the tenth best way. And you say, well, we're only going to be unified if we do it the tenth best way. So the tenth best way just became the best way. The only way to have a diverse group Be unified is through submission. It's the only way. And we know that Jesus wants his church to be diverse, right? He saved people from every tribe, tongue, nation. And we know he wants it to be unified because he says it all over the Bible, including the passage I just read, which is why he calls the church to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, there's two kinds of submission. There's submission that is forced, coerced, from the top down, where if you don't do it, you get punished. That's a form of submission. Dictators use that form of submission. Cult leaders use that form of submission. Kings use that form of submission. That's how the Roman Empire was able to be so diverse and so unified. That's not the kind of submission Jesus is calling us to in this text. There is hierarchical submission in the Bible, all over the Bible. But in this text, it's not to call. This text, he's calling for mutual submission to one another. So there's two ways that this submission is different than the, di- than the submission of a di- dictator. I'll give you both ways. First, this submission doesn't come from the top down. This is mutual this submission, sometimes you submit to someone less experienced than you, less knowledgeable than you. It's not top-down submission. It's mutual submission to one another. Second, this submission that Paul is calling us to is actually a voluntary submission. Now, that might be not a forced submission, a voluntary submission. Now, it might be confusing, okay, because here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this form of submission is not a characteristic of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not saying it's not commanded by God. It is. It's both of those things. So it's not voluntary in the sense that God doesn't tell you you have to do it, but it is voluntary in the sense that no human being coerces it. Does that make sense? And even God doesn't coerce it. He calls you to it. This isn't a coerced submission it is a willing submission because Jesus submitted for you and because he's calling you to it and because you see it as beautiful. It's willing, not coerced. All right, now you get the one caveat, and then we'll, we'll do some concluding thoughts. Obviously, I am not talking about submitting to any sin issue. So what I'm saying is that submission, we do not submit when something would be Sinful. That means we do not submit when someone tells you to do something God forbids. That would be sinful. You don't submit. It doesn't matter if it's your pastor, or if it's your husband, or if it's your wife. You do not submit to someone who commands something God forbids. And you do not, com- you do not submit to someone who forbids something God commands. Acts tells us that. Peter says we have to obey God rather than man. However, in the millions of issues that aren't sin, and get this, 10th best way is not sinful. The millions of areas that aren't sin, you and I are called to submit. Now, here's what's so crazy about this. Because we're talking about non-sin issues, guess what? Both sides have an equal opportunity to submit. You see how we talk about mutual submission? In in other words, what I'm saying is is this is the kind of submission where two people come and they have a different opinion on it, and either one of them can submit. Either one of them. And arguments like my way is better and things like that may be helpful at at the beginning to like dialogue about it, but at the end of the day, that's not really the decisive factor. Because either side can submit. This means that everything doesn't even have to be a democracy. You could have eight people submitting to the will of two. It's fine. Those, if those eight people want to do it for reverence to Christ, they can do it. Anybody is able to do this. It doesn't matter what side you are on. Now, a couple really quick caveats. It's vital that when you submit, you do it for the right reasons. Okay? Here's the thing. Not all submission is done for the right reasons. Let me give you just a list of reasons that we sometimes use for submit. We might use the right reason in our minds, but reasons that we truly submit that are not the right reasons. Think about some of the reasons that you've submitted in the past that maybe haven't been right. Maybe you submit because you hate conflict. Some people just do it the other Anytime there's conflict, fine, your way. They're not, they're not submitting out of reverence to Christ. They're submitting because they hate conflict. Maybe we submit because uh, we want to be liked. I want this person to like me, so I'm going to submit to whatever they want. Maybe we submit because we think if I submit this time, then the next time they'll submit to me. And the next time might be more important to me. Maybe we submit because we feel manipulated or we feel pressured somehow to submit. Whenever you submit to the wrong reason, guess what usually happens? You start to feel things like resentment. How many of you have ever submitted and felt resentful about it? Submitted and felt sorry for yourself about it, right? Oh, woe is me, I'm always having to do it There, way. You know, like you either feel sorry for yourself, you're resentful, you're bitter, Can I explain to you? Anytime those emotions come to your submission, it is a clear sign you've submitted for the wrong reasons. Because guess what? What have I told you about submission? Submission is an opportunity to show reverence to Christ and to grow in your intimacy with him. If that's why you submit it. So I submit to you because I want to show reverence to Jesus and I want to grow in my intimacy with him and because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Afterwards, I start to feel sorry for myself. Wait, what? I feel sorry for myself because I wanted to do it this way and I lost it. But what did I gain? I gained Jesus. So, so why would I feel sorry for myself if I did it to gain Jesus? You see, I, I only feel sorry for me if I did it to gain something else and I decide later that it wasn't worth it. Jesus is always better than whatever you give up. How are you going to be resentful when the result of your submission is greater intimacy with Jesus? What are you going to resent? Oh, man, I wish I had done it my way and I didn't have this intimacy with Jesus. I mean, like, no, you're not going to be resentful or bitter. You only get resentful and bitter when you do it for the wrong reasons. The only healthy reason to submit, one healthy reason, Reverence for Christ. We submit because we remember we have been saved by the submission of another. We submit because we know that when we submit to another believer, we are sacrificing to something small for someone that Jesus shed His blood for. We submit because it is the way that God intends to get unity out of this diverse body that He's put us in. And we submit Because in submission, we grow in our intimacy and our fellowship with Jesus in his sacrifice and in his suffering. And guess what? It is better to get Jesus than your own way what percentage of the time? 100 out of 100 which means after you've sat after you've done it 90 times you don't start thinking well from now on I'm drawing the line cuz I've been seriously submitting over here and now these people are going to submit I'm done with this submission. I'm done. I've done it 90 times. I got a notebook right here that has it all clearly written. The intimacy with Jesus has been sweet, but I'm done. I will now make sure I get my way the next time conflict comes up. No, it's not the way it works. If you're, doing it for, if you're doing it for another reason, of course you're going to keep track, and of course you're going to finally get to the end of your rope. But if every time you do it, you're growing in your intimacy with Jesus, 100 out of 100 is fine. Years ago when I preached this, I tried to teach, I tried to get the church to fight over who got to submit, but it didn't quite work that way. But I was, I was like, guys, you guys should be like, you should be like finally submitting to being submitted to because you wanted so badly to be the submissive one, but, but you realize, you know what, this time you can have the, uh. so I mean, it should just be like jumping to submit. We get intimacy with Jesus. But of course, I, I, it's still horrible, you know, and irksome, and nobody enjoys it, so don't don't forget that. I mean, that's real. So. I mean, I'll tell you it's real. I, that's how I'm going to end. I'm going to end with an illustration about it being real. 2007, I called it the year of submission. Oh, my God. It, it was a year of submission. I, was, I just got hired by this church, and every proposal that I made, every single one got shut down. Even where I wanted to go for my honeymoon got shut down. Yeah. I had to tell my wife, she's bawling, because our idea of what to do for our honeymoon was said to be a bad idea. They, they said, we have 100 years of marriage between us, and that's not a good idea. And I don't, maybe they were right. What I chose to do instead turned out to be a worse idea. I, there's no doubt. I went to Cairo, Egypt. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It was the worst, but, uh, but I wanted to go to Uganda and visit orphans on our honeymoon. They didn't think that was a good idea, so, uh, but my wife wanted to go, too. We, we have orphans in Uganda. We thought it was a good idea, but, uh, but they said no, so we didn't do that, so I ended up in Cairo, <laughs> and that was just one. I'll tell you the worst one. That wasn't even the worst one. That was one. That was hard. The worst one was this. I wanted, I felt like burdened to plant a church. And I had this college group of 70 kids, and I was a college pastor, Uh, I was a college professor at Palomar, and I wanted to plant a church in Escondido because I had these 70 college kids that would come and be a part of the church. I've been mentoring them for like six years. Abby's mom had a house in Escondido. We had a place to meet. I had a job, so I didn't need to get paid. It was a perfect job to gather people. It was still like 30 miles from the church, so I thought it was far enough away. I had a million reasons. You can tell you're hearing a little of my proposal that I had like 20 more pages for why it was a good proposal. And they said, no. They said, no. No, you can't plant in Escondido. No, you can't have anybody from your college group that you've been discipling for seven years. You need to go far away and take no one, and then that's a good idea. And that was hard. That was hard. That's how I ended up in El Cajon. That was, that was the far enough away. Uh. <laughs> Oh, real! I never even heard of El Cajon before. (laughs) I just wanted to know where the circle was, and then I I got as close to the line of the circle as I could find. So, because I still had friends, so I was like, "Okay, El Cajon—that's the circle." So, okay. So uh, that's how I got to El Cajon, Uh, and and I'll tell you the truth. The first couple of years in El Cajon, was a little bit hard for me, you know, because it was slow going, and I had an awesome worship guy with the college group, and I had all my friends, and now I, 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 I had to start all over. It was hard. And I lost my job. I had to quit my job at Palomar. Uh, and there were a lot of times where I thought, like, man, what would life look like if it was different, you know? But, Dan, let me tell you something. Let me tell you when it hit me. I remember when I was writing this illustration. It hit me real hard as I got a picture of my two kids in my head. Now, here's the thing. Both of my kids are adopted. Not only are both my kids adopted, but both my kids are adopted from people I met on the streets of a town called El Cajon. A town I never heard of before. A town I would never have gone to except for God used submission to get me there. See what happens? God uses submission to guide your life to places that you would never choose to go for yourself. And I'm thankful that he did. I look at my two kids, and I will not trade them for anything. I look at the church that God has given in El Cajon, this family that I love and that loves me, and I realize I would know none of them, not one of them would I have known if I would have planted in Escondido. And you know what's crazy, right? You, you use that illustration and that feels powerful, right? But it's really important to remember intimacy with Jesus is of a high, a much higher value than even my kids or my church. And that's what I got the first day I did it. And that's what would have been worth it if he would have never given us a church and never given me kids and never given anything else. Because you see, when I say that God uses submission to to take us to places we would never choose to go on our own, one of the places that he uses submission to take us is the cross. It's a place we would never choose to go on our own outside the city, bearing the reproach that he bore. We would never choose to fellowship with Jesus in his suffering. It wouldn't even be healthy if you chose to do it. But he gives us opportunities. He leads us outside the city through submission, through sacrificing for one another. A diverse church gives us the opportunity to sacrifice for one another, to ensure unity together. Amen? So infusion, be filled with the Spirit. Submitting one another to one another out of reverence for your Savior. As hard as it is, it's good, it's beautiful, and it's worth it. Amen? All right, let me pray.